Genesis chapter 42. I suspect that every Christian has a, a favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, in addition to that, I suspect that you probably have a, a favorite story in the Bible. Uh, the problem is sometimes we've got so many, you know, it's uh, the top ten gets to running over, but I said all of that to say this. The story that we're going to look at tonight, at least just a small snippet of the story, is one of my very favorite stories in the Bible. I wish I had time to really go through the entire story, but tonight we're just going to touch on one thing, and that's found in verse number 36. I want to speak to you tonight about when things go wrong. Well, that could probably be just about any day of your life when things go wrong, and believe me, they will. Sooner or later, they will. Verse number 36 says, And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. One of the great things that we learn from studying Bible characters is that they were every bit as human as we are. You know, sometimes we think about people like Paul and different heroes in the Bible, and we just envision them as being something unearthly, just something out of this world, almost angelic. And the fact is, they're not. And when God paints their pictures, he paints them warts and all. In other words, he shows us the good and the bad and the ugly. And that is certainly true in the life of Jacob. Here was a man that had uh, a lot of faults, and yet he was a man who loved the Lord and a man that God blessed mightily. And so I suspect that all of us at some point in time have felt exactly as Jacob did when he makes this statement, all these things are against me. Everything's working against me. And we all have our moments, don't we? You can be flying high and everything going your way, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the devil just dumps his truckload of problems at your doorstep, and all of a sudden, you get the feeling that Man, my whole life is a mess. Everything is wrong. Everything is against me. So we have those moments in our life when it seems that nothing is going right. And that's the way that Jacob feels at this point. And as you'll see, it's for good reason. Now, I don't have time to read the first 35 verses of this chapter, but I'll tell you what it speaks of. It speaks about his dilemma. In all of these verses, we see the dilemma that he faced. And here it is in a nutshell. For more than 20 years, Jacob had lived with the heartbreaking belief that his son Joseph was dead. Uh, that, that's hard to do for a parent. That's difficult thinking that your child was dead and, 
and, and thinking about the fact that as he was led to believe that he had been devoured by some wild beast and all he has left is this this bloody coat that the brothers brought back. That, that's all he has. A reminder of the fact that my boy is dead. But then his problems didn't end there. There was a great drought in the land and that finally forced him to send his other sons, all except Benjamin, the youngest there, and he sends all of the other boys into Egypt in search of food. And now here toward the the beginning of our message in verse 36, his sons have returned with supplies, but the news isn't all good because they have been accused of being spies in the land. As they go there the first time, uh, all of a sudden their brother Benjamin, is, uh, 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 Simeon rather, is held hostage. And so they come home and tell Dad, well, uh, good news is we made it down into Egypt and we got back. The problem is that that ruler down there, that fellow that's in charge of the storehouse, he kept Simeon and he won't let him go unless, unless we prove our sincerity by bringing back the youngest son, Benjamin. Now, you can imagine how that would affect the thinking of Jacob, who's already distraught over what he's been going through. And uh, adding to the problem is this. That when they left there, they, uh, unknowingly, Joseph, who was the man they've been dealing with that they don't know the identity of, he had opened up their, their sacks of grain and put their money in it. In other words, it made, made them appear that they were thieves. So they're thinking, if we go back, that money you know, is going to be missing. The bookkeeper is going to find out that the money's not there. We're going to be accused of being thieves. And, and so they're dumping all of this on Jacob's doorstep, and, and Jacob is pondering the, the quandary, you know, what do, you, what do I do now? I, I've lost one boy, and now there's another one in captivity, and they, they, they want to take Benjamin. And so it's no wonder that he is so fearful at this point. It seemed that he's in danger, actually, of losing everything because when all the boys go back, if they think they're thieves, I'll never see my sons again. So he appeared to have a problem that could not be solved. Put all those pieces together. How, how, how do you solve a problem like that? Maybe you've been there. All the circumstances are different. But you have a problem, you have a, you have a need in your life, a situation, and there doesn't seem to be any answer. Oh, you've talked to others and you've inquired as to what they might do, were they in your shoes, and you've prayed about it and you've thought about it, but still, it's all a dead end and you just cannot imagine, what am I going to do? So that's the dilemma this guy is in. Well, when we look at verse 36, we see his despair, where he says, all these things are against me. That's another way of telling us that he is overwhelmed with grief. Somebody suggested that instead of Murphy's Law, it ought to be called Jacob's Law. 
Well, maybe there's some truth to that. And I, by the way, I don't want to minimize Jacob's problems, but I don't want to excuse his faults either. Rather, I want, I want us to learn from his experience. And in his response, verse 36, we see several things. Number one, we see a resentment toward others. Me, have ye bereaved in other words he's blaming them well they were in the wrong no doubt about that and blaming others is one of the most common reactions that we have to the troubles in our life but it doesn't help now remember they are to blame for joseph but that doesn't mean they're to blame for everything else they didn't steal the money they didn't put it in the sack they didn't initiate the terms of sending benjamin back there uh, that that wasn't their idea so the point is even when others are to blame even when they have failed we make matters worse if we get bitter if we get filled with the resentment toward them That's why it's so important that we learn to forgive those that have sinned against us. Boy, that can be one of the toughest things in the world, to forgive people that have hurt you deeply. So there is this matter of resentment toward others that you have to deal with when you feel as Jacob did. Not only that, but we see in this a rush to judgment. It says, Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. In other words, he has envisioned the worst. He's actually exaggerating the problem. Joseph is not. He he thinks that he is dead. Remember, both of them are alive, and both of them are doing just fine. But he doesn't know that. But he makes this rush to judgment Just as you and I do so many times in our lives when we come up against some dilemma that leads us to despair and we don't know what to do and so we make a rush to judgment and then we make a rash statement. Again, all these things are against me. Look at verse 38. And he said, my son shall not go down with you. I've had some talks like that with my three boys and my five girls. This is not going to happen. This is not going to work. You know, you're just not going to do that. And that's the, that's the message he was sending here. My son shall not go down with you. So obviously he's feeling sorry for himself. He's rushing to judgment thinking everything is, is as bad as it could be when it's really not. I, I think about maybe, maybe we talked about Jacob's law, but maybe Jacob's song ought to be, No one loves me, this I know, for my troubles tell me so. <laughs> I, I, I just suspect he's going around humming that to himself. And whenever we start feeling like that, we're headed for trouble. And, and in his despair, he says, my son shall not go down. You better be careful about making statements concerning what you will and what you won't do. Sometimes we say, I'll tell you what. And, and usually, usually this is in, in reference to somebody else's failure. 
Somebody compromised, somebody did something they shouldn't, and we say to ourselves, or maybe we verbalize it to someone else, and we say, I'll tell you what, I'll never, I would never do something like that. Don't you kid yourself. You don't know what you would do given certain circumstances. Amen. Whenever we think back and think about certain preachers, famous preachers that have fallen, did horrible, terrible things that brought reproach to the cause of Christ. It's horrible and terrible. And, and you know, I'd like to think in my mind, and, and I'm sure that you would, that I'd never, I'd never do that. And you'd never do that. But listen, you're not subject to the same temptation they are. You don't have the fame and the money. You don't have the means whereby that you can access those things that are so tempting to them. You don't have that. They thought they had the ability to do what they wanted to do and to cover it up, you see. And you might be surprised what you would do given certain circumstances. I've told the story before, probably several times. I had an old dear preacher friend. He's much older than I was. He's in heaven now. Kathy knows him. His name was Leonard Young, old white-haired preacher. And I'll never forget, it was in a preacher's fellowship meeting, and uh, he had actually invited me then to come to a revival meeting because he knew he was going to be resigning, and I didn't know till afterwards he wanted to do that to get me there in view of a call to that church. But he made a statement during the morning session, and he said, you know, given the right circumstances, you know, it's possible for any preacher to end up committing adultery. So uh, while we were walking over to the cafeteria or the area the wherever it was that the fried chicken was i said brother Leonard, can i talk to you a minute sure and we sat down in his car and just we sat there and i said you know i i i heard what you said and i i i'm not sure i can really agree with you would you explain it and he said it better than anybody i've ever heard and he said what i meant was it has to be the right woman because not all women are appealing to all men. It has to be the right woman. But it has to be at the right time whenever he is down and discouraged and so forth. And it has to be at the right time in the place whenever nobody else is going to know. And you put all of these factors together. And I'm telling you, folks, we don't always know exactly what we would do. We're not as strong as we'd like to think we are. Be careful. The Bible says pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And anybody that thinks, well, I could never do something like that, mark it down, they are, they are ready for a fall. They are. We have to live every day realizing how dependent we are upon the Lord. Now, here he is making this rash statement, My son shall not go down with you. At the root of the problem, in reality, is a lack of faith on his part. In other words, it's obvious that his eyes are on the problem instead of God. That always makes matters worse. 
He's saying to himself, I've suffered great loss. I can't afford for things to get any worse than they are. I've got to put a stop to this right here, right now. You know, it might be some of you fathers have made the statement to your kids, I'll tell you one thing, as long as you live under my roof, you're going to do what I say. I got news for you. When they get about 14 or 15, they might not be under your roof because they can take off any time they want to. You can't stop it. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yes, I understand. You can lock the windows. I understand. Yes, if they run away, you can get the cops to go get them and bring them back. I understand that, but you can't stop them. Because if they want to, they can just keep repeating that over and over and over and over. And if we're not careful, we get our eyes so focused on the problem at hand that we lose sight of how how great our need of God's help really is. I think that's where Jacob is in all of this. What am I going to do? Everything is against me. Now look at verse 38. Here's his decision. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way into which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. This is the decision that he has made. Remember, he's in a state of despair. And whenever we are in despair, when we are in great trouble and we don't know what what to do, that's never the time to make an important decision. But he makes this decision. And I want you to notice three things about the decision that he makes. Number one, it, it tells us about his state of mind. He's discouraged, he's bitter, he's, he's fearful, and, and that's not when you make good decisions. It's, and it, by the way, it's all based on assumption here. There's no factual evidence that any of this is true. He can't, he can't just lay out the facts and say, look, fellas, you, you are wrong and I am right. It's all based on assumptions. So it tells us something about his frame of mind. But secondly, secondly, his decision troubled him more. It did at least three things. First of all, it delayed their return for supplies. Remember, there's a drought going on. They're just living by the skin of their teeth. People are depending on food. They've been forced to go all the way down into Egypt to get it. And now here he is delaying this while people are starving. And uh, so instead of trusting God, leaping into action, why... He is making things worse. Secondly, it prolonged Simeon's imprisonment. You've got to believe Simeon wants out of there just as bad or more than Jacob wants him out of there, right? And as long as they are back there in their land feeling safe, we dare not go to Egypt because that's going to be a costly proposition. So we're just going to stay here and make it the best we can. And there's poor old Simeon sitting down there. He feels totally deserted, you see. Not only that, but unknowingly, it delayed his reunion with Joseph. Think about it. The thing that he would have loved more than anything else, perhaps, 
to learn that his son is alive and that he could be reunited with him. That's waiting for him down there. He doesn't know it, but but now he's in this quandary trying to figure out what to do. And uh, so as he sits there in a state of depression, he is delaying the reunion that he could have had. It tells you about his frame of mind. It troubled him more. But listen, folks, the most practical thing about it is it teaches us. It teaches us. That's what I want to talk to you about mainly tonight. There are at least five things that I think of when I look at this story, five things that we learn from it. Number one, we ought to act on the facts rather than our feelings. Because if we don't, if we don't, we'll panic, and that makes matters worse. One, one of the problems we have today, and I remember, I don't know, two or three, four years ago, I preached a message about fake news. I, I'm not sure that was the title of it, but uh, that's basically what it was about, the fake news. We live, in, we live in a time where we don't know what to believe and what not to believe, you know. People say, well, consider the source. Well, that, that's part of the problem. We look around. We don't know what source is trustworthy. We don't know whether we're getting the facts or not. And believe me, this is a real complex issue. Had this not been Memorial Day, I was going to spend the whole evening talking about a message that relates to this very thing. And that is the ease with which we are deceived by the world. We are in a spiritual warfare. And the devil's chief instrument, his chief tool in working against us is what? It's deception. He is a liar. He has been from the beginning. And he uses people. He uses people. So when you think about the unsaved world out there, Keep in mind, as Paul said to Timothy, they are, the unsaved are taken captive by him at his will. We got this crazy idea in our mind. Now, well, that person is a drunk just because he wants to be a drunk, or he's a druggie just because he wants to be a druggie or whatever. And you, you, don't, you don't understand if that's what you think. Well, you say, yeah, but that's, they made those choices. Yes, they did. But you've got to understand, in their unsaved condition, they don't stand a chance. They're taken captive by the devil at his will. And so Satan uses people, and he uses people. I'm talking about those that are unsaved. And some of them are decent people, make good neighbors, people that you... Uh, you say, well, boy, I, I, w- I would trust them. I tell you what, they're, they're a good conservative. They got in office by their high standards and what have you. Yeah, and they are lost. And they, as a result of that, are not being guided by the Spirit of God, but rather by the God of this world. Now, I'm, I mention all of that because I'm telling you, if we don't act on the facts, then we panic. Now, you, you already know what I'm having a hard time. Yeah, you do. Because here I said at the very beginning, worse than the virus, the coronavirus problem will be the panic over that. Panic does horrible, terrible things. Look, appearances can be deceiving. You know, you, you might feel like this is the end of the world, but it isn't. 
It's not the end of the world. We ought to learn from this story of Jacob that we have to depend on facts, not feelings. Secondly, we have to accept things that we cannot change. A lot of things in life you can't control and you can't change. In order to survive, we have to do what David did when his, when his child, his little baby, died. And he accepted that. Second Samuel chapter 12, that is amazing. He said, I can't bring him back. Oh, listen, I'll bet he wished a thousand times he could. I wish, I bet he wished that he could raise the dead. I wish in some way he could go back in time and undo the sin that he had committed and the wrong that he had done and avoid the consequences of that. You, you, you can't change the past. What is done is done. It is what it is. And a righteous God decreed that the best way to deal with this issue the best way for David to learn his lesson, and for others, this lesson, that was not just for David, by the way. It was God showing to others, I am not going to tolerate this in those that I have chosen for leadership. I hold them to a high standard. And when they sow sin against me, it's going to be costly. And he took that child, and David said, I can't go to him, or I can't bring him back, but I can go to him. David had to accept what he couldn't change. I've often referred to a fellow that he'd recently lost his wife, and he said to his pastor, he said, well, I guess I'll just have to accept it. And that wise old preacher said, no, you don't have to accept it. He said, you can fight it, you can oppose it, you can resent it, and you can go to your grave feeling that a terrible injustice has been done to you. You can do that if you want to. When, when, when it seems like the whole world is against us and we've got all of these problems and there's no help in sight, we can't do anything about it, we don't see any way out of it, we can just accept the fact it is what it is. If the coronavirus, for example, if it, listen, if it was infecting 90% of all of the people and the death rate was 50%, at some point in time we just have to accept that for what it is. We can't change. We can't do anything about it. That is what it is. I, know, I don't want it to be that way either. But what are we going to do if it is crawl up in the corner and suck our thumb and cry ourselves to sleep? We can't do that. We've got a life to live regardless of what's going on around us. You don't have to accept it. It's your choice. You can live in a state of depression or you can just, you can just do what you can with what you got. And we ought to learn that from this story. Thirdly, we ought to avoid self-pity. That is, refuse to pout over the situation. Self-pity is like quicksand. I'm not sure. I I suppose you got quicksand down here in Texas. There's sand everywhere. But boy, up in Missouri, I'm telling you, there are some places where there are pits of quicksand, and you got to be careful because if you get in in one of those, the more you struggle, the lower you sink. 
and your best hope of getting out is to relax and to kind of fall back and to hope you can grab a hold of a twig or something along the edge and, and get out of there. And there are some folks that have been mired down in a pit of depression for years because of this very thing, self-pity. It, it, it happens to all of us to some extent. But to, to go year after year after year feeling like this terrible injustice has been done to us. But I, I don't know anybody's been nailed to a cross yet. I don't know anybody that suffered like Jesus did. Self-pity is like a cancer. It really is. It just eats away at you until finally it destroys you. It'll destroy your peace. You won't even be able to sleep at night. It'll destroy your joy. You can be surrounded by all of the fine things of life and have food on the table and everything you imagine, but there's no joy there. And the joy is gone because of that self-pity that you entertain in your life. You lose your peace. You lose your joy. You finally lose your usefulness. I mean, what, what good are we to the Lord if we're not any different from the world? If, look, if we don't have a testimony that our God makes a difference, then, I mean, we're, we're done so far as being used of God. It destroys our, our testimony. I talked this morning about how important it is that, that we leave a name upon this earth, that we leave a legacy that would show others the, the greatness of our God. But boy, to die in a pit of depression is a horrible, terrible thing because of the fact that others have a tendency to judge God based on what they see in us. It's like the old saying, you're the only Bible, you know, that some people will ever read. And that's so true. You can invite them to church, but they won't come. If they own a Bible, they'll never open it up and, uh, and, and read it. And when we get into this self-pity, we are absolutely doomed. We are making things worse. But there's another thing we ought to learn, and that is to attend to our duty. Attend to our duty. We must not allow our problems, whatever they are, to cause us to lose our perspective as to what is really most important. You know, I've, I've noticed over the years, and it's so very sad that a lot of people, when things go wrong, when there's a problem, all of a sudden they quit serving God. They, they do just fine as long as everything's going their way. Oh, they're faithful. They're in attendance at every, every, every service. I mean, they will teach a class. They bring their Bibles. They'll give their money. They'll do all of these things. But you let something go wrong. Not necessarily something wrong in the church, but just something wrong in their life. Someone else hurts them in some way. And uh, as a result of that, they just give up on God. We we better remember that neither danger nor difficulties excuse us from our duty. We have a responsibility. Regardless of the circumstances, we have a responsibility to do as God commands. And by the way, sometimes sacrifice, suffering, 
pain, and even death is the price that has to be paid for us to do God's will in our life. If you don't believe that, just look in the Bible. You search the Bible and you see numerous examples of that, of those who went through great difficulty, those who encountered horrible problems, those those who suffered and even died. Why? Because they were determined that they were going to do the will of God even if it cost them their life. The Bible's full of people like that. We think about the apostles and and the horrible deaths that they died there in the early church. We see that they were taken and beaten, all because they would not stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They put them in prison. They beat them. When they got out, what did they do? They went right back to doing what they had done before and did it joyfully, if you read the account. That was the wonderful thing. They were happy to do it. They were, you might say, clapping their hands in glee. Glory to God, we are out. Let's get back down on the street corner or go down to the synagogue. Let's get the word out and tell others about our great God. Now, that being the case, and that is factual, Why in the world should we expect our lives to be any less demanding? Let that sink in a little while. Trace Christianity back through the ages. Think about the periods of horrible persecution. All of those who have died as martyrs. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs sometime if you can get through it. It's tough reading But you read about all of the horrible suffering that God's people have gone through. And then you look at our situation in America. I'm telling you, folks, we we have had it so easy. We really have. I've I've been a round or two in bar rooms, but I've never had anybody punch me in the nose because of Jesus. Had a woman threaten me with a shotgun, but that, you know, that was an exception. But uh, we, we got it easy compared to the rest of the world and compared to history, through, you know, the Christians throughout all of history. Why should we expect to have it any easier than what they had it? And then all of a sudden, whenever it really gets tough, we start acting like, well, this is just so unfair. It's been unfair to our forefathers for centuries. We've had it much easier. We shouldn't expect life to be any less demanding than what it really is. And we have to remember what's important and what is not. Attend to our duties regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of what's going on with us, attend to our duties. Jacob could have said, boys, let me tell you, this is more than your old daddy can take. I've lost one son, now I've lost another, and now here we are in this quandary. I I don't know why, I, I just give up. You figure it out for yourselves. I'm just throwing the towel in. He could have done that. Probably felt like doing that. But we have to attend to our duty, whatever it is. But there's another lesson, and this gets to the root of the whole thing. And that is we have to arm ourselves with, as Paul said, the shield of faith. 
There in Ephesians chapter number 6, he speaks about this spiritual warfare that we are involved in. And, and he says that we arm ourselves with the shield of faith. Why? So we can stop those fiery darts of the devil. And, and whenever we, we look at the great things that God has done, and we think about what he is, can do, what he's promised to do, and we think about the equipment that he has supplied for us to win the battle against the devil, it reminds us that with God there is no situation that is hopeless. With God all things are possible. And in Jacob's case, keep in mind that God used all of this bad stuff to accomplish something that was really good. Listen to what Joseph said. Now, this is when his brothers returned. Chapter 45, verse number 7. You might want might to even look there. He said, and God sent me before you. Now, you know, everybody else probably thought, well, God didn't have anything to do with this. That was those knucklehead boys. They're the one that caused all of this problem. But Joseph said, no, no. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Wow. Had God did this. Now listen to what he said after the whole family is relocated. This is in chapter 50, by the way, verse 19. Now all the family is there. Jacob has done what he said he wouldn't do. He said, we're not going. I'm not going to let you take Benjamin. But he finally did. Now they're all there. And Joseph said unto them, fear not. For am I in the place of God? That's a question. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Much people. Not just dad and the boys, much people. There are people back in their homeland depending upon what Egypt is able to supply. And unknown to them, a son of Jacob has the key to the storehouse. He's telling them that that all of this bad was actually for good. Out of the depths of his disappointment, Jacob said, all these things are against me, but now we see how wrong he was. Yeah. And whenever it come for his time to die, this is recorded in Hebrews 11. Listen to it. This is just before he dies now. This is what he said. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph blessed both the sons of, of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, when he was dying, he blessed both the sons of Joseph. The history of, this, of these people, this nation, this family, is all wrapped up, tied up in this story that we've been talking about. When everything seems to be against us, we need to remember what Paul said over in Acts chapter 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
I, oh, I wish I had time to just go through those verses. And he, he elaborates on that. Neither death nor life nor things to come and on and on and on. If God's force, who can be against us? Now, indeed, there are a lot of people, a lot of things that are against us in the sense that they oppose us, but they're not against us in the sense that they can destroy us or ruin us. Amen. When God's for us, nobody could be against us. You see, Paul understood that there can be benefits to our burdens. Read all the things he said. About, that's why he said, I, I rejoice in, in, in my trials. He knew there was profit in pain. There could be happiness in hardships. And that's why he wrote Romans eight twenty eight, right? But all things work together for good to, for those who love the Lord or the called according to his purpose. Paul lived that out and he knew. He's not just telling you what he heard. He's not, he's not just even telling you what the Holy Spirit told him to write. He's saying, I've lived this. I know from experience, I've been there, done that, that all things work together for good. Boy, I think when they stoned him, dragged him out of Lystra, out into the garbage dump and threw his body in the garbage dump, being human, there had to be a moment that he thought, man, my life is over. My eyesight is gone. I, they have destroyed me. They thought he was dead. But he found out later on that was just, that was just a stepping stone in that great life that God gave him to live. Now, there's so much to this story of Jacob we don't have time for, but there's one, one thing I, I want to close with, and that is his discovery. Because chapter 45 tells us that when the brothers returned back to Egypt, that Joseph revealed himself to them. <laughs> Can you imagine the shock of that? Here he is sitting before them, they may be bowed down at his feet, I don't know. But here they've come back now. And he says, I've got something to tell you guys. I'm Joseph. They didn't recognize him. They had no idea this is who they had been dealing with. They're dealing with their very own flesh and blood brother. And then he sends them back home to get dad. I'm your brother. I miss dad. Dad is in need. Boys, please go back and bring daddy down here. Bring the whole family. I'll take care of them. And so they go back and announce the news to Jacob. And this is what he said, 4526, he believed them not. <laughs> How could you believe something like that? You're kidding me. I saw the blood on the coat. I heard your story. There's no way he could be alive. And, and, and if he was alive, there's no way that he could have ascended to be to such a high place in Egypt. He couldn't be. I don't believe it. That's what he said. Something really happened. 
that we read about in verse 40, verse 28. This is what makes this one of my very favorite stories. When he saw the wagons. The wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him. And he said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I'll go. I'll go and see him before I die. When he saw the wagons. I'm glad that there was a day in my life as wretched and miserable as I was. There was a day when I saw the wagon loads of God's grace at my doorstep. I saw that God had provided for me in Christ everything I need. And Romans 5, 8 told me all about it, that he loved me and that while I'm a yet sinner, Christ died for me. And I, that's, that's it. That's enough. That's enough for me. I want everything that he has to offer. When he saw the wagons, and then we read about the great reunion between them in chapter 46. Listen, but that was just the beginning. Because when you go to chapter 47, we see this, that in the worst of times, they prospered greatly. That seemed impossible. There is a drought. People are dying. The crops won't grow. It's as bad as it can get. But when they get down there in Egypt, even Pharaoh, because of his affection for Joseph, even Pharaoh basically said, give him a blank check. Give them their, their, the land that they need. Provide whatever they need. And when it seemed absolutely impossible for them to get through their problem, they prospered more than they ever had. And that just reminds me of the old saying, God works in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. He really does. Folks, I, what I'm trying to say to you tonight whether it's the coronavirus or whether it's cancer, whether it's heart disease, whether it's World War IV, whatever it is, God is in control. Yes, he, he hasn't stepped down from his throne. He is in control. And he is at work. And he, out of, the, out of these horrible things, is going to bring something good. I, I don't know what it's going to be. I wish I could tell you. It, it could be it'll result in the salvation of millions of souls, people that will turn to the Lord, people that never would listen before, but now with the threat of the coronavirus, all of a sudden they've, they've got an open ear and they'll listen now because they realize they're in need. But whatever it is, whatever the result, there's going to be some good come out of it. What you discover, now listen, and I promise I'm through. We're talking about Jacob's discovery. Whatever it is that you discover is going to be determined by decisions you make. You can choose this path or that path. There's a sense in which you can say your future is in your hands. There's a sense in which you can say that you can decide what will determine what God does. The Bible says of of Israel, they limited the Holy One of Israel. 
our actions, our decisions, the choices that we make, how we behave in a crisis will determine what God is able to do for us in our time of need. All these things are against me. Well, they might very well be, but your God is greater than all of these things. Trust Him. And if you're here tonight and you never trusted Him for salvation, please do so before you leave here. Trust Him. Trust Him. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that you'll use this bit of history and this part of your word to challenge our hearts tonight. Forgive me of the times that I worry and I fret, the times that, well, in my mind, I think maybe everything is working against me when in reality... If I, if I just was able to know your thoughts, your plans, I would understand that the things that are working against me are actually in some way working for me and for some good. Maybe the good's not so much for me, but good for somebody else. So Lord, help us tonight to trust you for all things, to put on the shield of faith to protect ourselves against the fiery darts of the devil and save that person that's here tonight that's never trusted Christ as their Savior. For we pray in his name. While we stand as we sing.